And um, we know that uh, you're also here not only for the Talmud Torah, for the Torah study, but also just to connect over something that was and still continues to be important to you. And we appreciate that very much. We appreciate you being here and honoring us and the family this way. Um, the good news is that Amram Pillow and just had two granddaughters in the last uh, week and a half. Is that right? Week and a half. One week. One week, yeah. Uh, of and there's some other gender on the way. We're not sure what. We're just any day now. Um, Baruch Hashem, his four children are married. And uh, there are uh, there are more than two Amram Pillows in the world. Um, and it's very inspiring, really, to look at the big picture, uh, because obviously at the moment that Amram passed away, we can see nothing but pain and grief and loss. But um, over the 23 years since his passing, uh, we have seen what it means for a person to leave a legacy, because he got his children, and thanks uh, tremendously to Gloria, and she lived to be well, our heroine. Um, children have been raised in the ways of their parents, and Amram's personality and his dedication, and the things he lived for, definitely are mirrored in the lives that they're leading. And uh, so it gives us all tremendous nachas to see this, and to see what it means that a person can leave a legacy that uh, exists far beyond one's uh, physical years on earth. Um, when uh, we set out to make this annual event, we chose to focus on areas that we thought that Amram specialized in, which is basically Amram interpersonal relationships. Because although we knew very clearly during his lifetime uh, that he uh, certainly specialized in this. Uh, I think it's safe to say that during Shiva, uh, we were just overwhelmed by the testimonials of so many people about the difference that he made to them in his honesty and his generosity in his quiet and humble way of taking care of others, being involved in community issues, uh, never really talking about it. And so we chose to make the focus of this series uh, those issues of the Adolfo interpersonal relationships. And tonight, uh, we've chosen a topic which um, is um, quite interesting, I would think. And that's the topic of Emma's truth, the signature, so to speak, this, uh, the signet ring of God, as the Mara says. So we're going to talk about Emma's. What is Emma's? We're going to talk about whether or not um, we are all people of truth. We're going to talk about why truth seems to be so difficult. We're going to talk about um, what makes truth, when is truth appropriate, when is truth inappropriate, etc. All kinds of questions. And we hope that when we finish, you will have more questions than you have right now. Because right now, truth is real simple. Just tell the truth. Just the facts, man. Sergeant Friday, right? Um, so uh, we hope to create more problems for you, so that you'll be dealing with that. So the goal is for you to be less clear when you leave about truth than you are right now, and then we know we and seriously, we will not succeed. Um, there's two parts to tonight. The first part is the presentation of my father and I today, and we'll have a short break, and then we're going to convene in what we think are less formal uh, uh, settings over there for a Q&A on any topic in the world. Because um, my father, well, I, I would say, I speak for myself. I think I have an answer on any topic you bring up, whether it's Jewish or not. And I will, and I will answer it whether I know what I'm talking about or not. My father has more discretion than I do. He used to think it was a function of years. I'm getting one of years, and I still have no discretion. So if you have a hot topic, ask me, and then we'll see what happens. Anyway, uh, it's really my privilege, my pleasure, my honor to uh, present to you Father Shlita um, for uh, his presentation.
Good evening. Appreciate your being here. I appreciate our being here. And delight to be back in our community. And Estelle and I always feel very, very much at home in Atlanta, GA. And seeing the new faces and the not so new faces. I won't make the mistake that I made as young rabbi at the first sisterhood meeting way back when I was just 25 years old and they were welcoming new members and I said I want to welcome the new faces and the old faces <laughs> and my wife tugged me you don't say old faces to a group of ladies so. It is appropriate, uh, almost serendipity, though I didn't have it in mind per se, that a subject tonight should be MS, which means truth, because whatever our son Zuchron Lavrocha Amram was, he was really a man of truth. And there was a story that Estelle and I were talking about tonight earlier that illustrates his. Uh, this pension for truth. You want to fix this, Junior? Okay. Is this better? Yes, yes. Ask them if it's better. Yes. yes. Is that better now? Yes. Okay. Thank you. That is, he was a lawyer in the Washington, D.C. area. And there was, he had one client who was a very, very successful businessman, a veteran businessman. But he was involved in a lawsuit, and he was very, very nervous, what this, this client was, about the, the court proceeding that was going to go, go on that morning. And he confided in his lawyer, my son Amram, that he was very scared of being in a court and being asked questions. And Amram said to him, you have nothing to worry about. Just tell the truth. And the client relaxed, he felt good, he told the truth, and the case went well. That was typical of him, we won't go into, it's not a eulogy for Amram, he doesn't need any anymore, but it's thought that the, the title MS tonight, truth, is very appropriate. That word MS, which is on the board, and I'll explain in a minute why it's up there, is mentioned over 200 times in the Tanakh, in the Bible. Over 200 times. It's one of the key words in the, the Torah, and it's one of the key words in Jewish life. Uh, the key verse in the Torah is in Sedra Mishpatim, in the 23rd chapter of Shemos, which says, Mitvar sheker tirchok. Distance yourself from a sheker. Sheker is in the second line there, which means a falsehood. Distance yourself from falsehood. Keep away from falsehood. Stay close to truth. The Talmud says, and it's on your on your sheet on the set on the back on the second side, where it says Gemara Shabbos. You'll take a look at it, we'll read it together. The second paragraph from the end on the page two. Why are the letters of the word sheker adjacent to one another in the alphabet while the letters of emet are distant from one another? What does that mean? In the alphabet, well, I better stay over here. I better stay here. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, the mic moves with me? This? The big mic moves also. Aleph is the first letter. Mem is the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Tuf is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. As if to say that MS, truth, encompasses the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's the whole story is MS, is truth. Whereas Sheker, the word for falsehood underneath, 
those are three letters that come together in the alphabet. The three, the, almost the three last letters of the alphabet are Kuf, Reish, Shin. They're together, right near the, at the end of the alphabet. They stand together. And the Talmud says that Sheker ain't Loraglayim. Sheker has no feet. That is, you look at the way Sheker is written, Power it's written with a point, the shin. One leg, one leg, one leg. Right? Sheker has only one leg, each letter. Whereas the word MS, each letter in Thank you, Sir. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you, Sir. Whereas each letter in MS has two legs. And this says flat base. And again, two legs. So it says, Emes Yeshlaraglaya. Emes has feet. It has substance. It stands on its own. Sheker, falsehood, even the way it's written in Hebrew, has no feet. It topples over as soon as you put it down on paper and as soon as you speak it. Because ultimately, Sheker collapses. And ultimately, truth triumphs. So that's what the Gemara means here. Let's look at, look at the text of the Gemara, which I've already explained to you. Uh, Gemara Shabbos 104a. Why are the letters of the word Sheker adjacent to one another in the alphabet, while the letters of Emet are distant? That's because while falsehood is easily found, truth is found only with great difficulty. The Gemara is giving another, another view of, of, of why the letters are that way. Why the letters comprising the word Sheker all stand on one foot, and the letters that comprise the word Emmet stand on bases that are wide like bricks? Because truth stands eternal, and falsehood does not stand eternal. So that's why, you know, Emmet is so crucial that the tradition says it's Kosomo Shalakadosh Baruch Hu. It's the seal of God Himself. That's how God, so to speak, would sign his name. The word MS is God's, God's seal. And in the 13 middos, the 13 attributes that we sing on Yom Tov, Hashem Hashem Kirachum Vichano Erech Apayim. My singing comes at no extra charge. <laughs> Erech Apayim Berav Chesed Be'emes There's that word emes It's describing all of God's attributes One of them, one of the 13 is emes, truth Notes of Chesed, Allah and so forth That's one of the God's attributes It's really, when you speak the truth You're imitating God That's what it amounts to Now now, while MS is widespread throughout the tradition, throughout the Tanakh, it's also one of the least understood or the most misunderstood words and concepts in Jewish tradition. Um, it has to be used with sensitivity, has to be used with care, and there are all kinds of aspects to MS. There's a telling of truth, to others, there's a telling of truth to God, and there's most difficult of all, telling the truth to yourself. Very difficult. Tonight we won't deal with all the aspects of truth, but we will deal a little bit with telling truth to others. Um, MS can be very dangerous, you know? I remember when I was still active here in, uh, in the shul, we had the Kiddush on Shabbos. Very often on Shabbos morning, that Kiddush, some well-meaning person would come up to me and say, Rabbi, you don't look so good. You know? I was feeling fine until he came up to me. But then to compensate for that, someone else would come over two minutes later and says, Rabbi, you look great. So I felt a little better. You wouldn't walk into a hospital uh, room where someone is sick and they look terrible. Well, the MS says they look terrible. You're going to say, you look terrible? Of course not. 
you're going to lie and say you look great? Well, maybe not that, but you say you're looking pretty good. You're looking much better. Which is okay. That's that's Darkei Shalom. You're allowed to bend the truth a little bit if it's in order to help someone, to make someone feel better, and so forth. That's why, by the way, in those 200 instances where MS is mentioned in the Tanakh, very often it is coupled with the word chesed. Chesed to MS goes together. You have to do, use MS with chesed means kindness and consideration and so forth. Rav Chesed Ve'emes, we say it every other. Chesed and Emes are frequently coupled together throughout the Tanakh because you have to do it with, with Chesed. Someone said that Emes truth is like a fire. It can keep you warm or it can burn you to death. It depends how you use it. Now, there's a famous Gemara, a famous section of Talmud, which uh, is on the very first sort of item on your source sheet, which I'd like to look with you, look at you to get with you together. It's from the Gemara Ksuvis. Actually, I'll read the Hebrew to you as well. In the Gemara Ksuvis, Daf Yud Zion, it records a famous dispute between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. What's the dispute about? The dispute is what, what do you tell a bride at the chuppah, at the wedding day? How do you dance before a bride? Ketzad Merakdim Lifnei HaKalo. It's a song actually that very often is sung at weddings. Many of you may know it. It's from the Gemara. The Gemara asks, How do you dance before the bride? Now, in those days, when they danced before the bride, it wasn't just a dance. They used to stop and announce to everyone the wonderful qualities of the bride. What a wonderful person she is. How beautiful she is. How how talented she is, what a kind person she is, what, what a giving person she is. They used to say all those wonderful qualities about a bride. Kate's interactive color. So there's a dispute. How honest do you have to be when you're talking about the bride to the bride and to the groom as well? So Beishamai says, Kalokamoshidi. Don't lie, you just emphasize certain things and you omit certain things. Let's take a look at the text. Husband dance before the bride, that is, what does one recite while dancing at her wedding? Beishamai says, You recite praises of the bride as she is, emphasizing her good qualities. Hillel disagrees. Hillel says, you say always a fair and a beautiful bride, an attractive bride. That's all you say. You say it's that for everyone, says Hillel. So Shammai says to him, but how could you do that? Suppose the bride is, 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 is lame or blind. What are you going to say? She's a fair, beautiful bride. Suppose she's really not beautiful. What do you say to her? The Torah says, we just spoke about that. You should keep away from falsehood. So Hillel said to Beit Shammai, it doesn't matter. You don't go up to a person and insult him and tell him his taste is bad and he's picked a loser here. You just don't do that. Even though it's MS, it might be true. As far as the groom is concerned, the bride is beautiful. Otherwise, he wouldn't be marrying her. As far as the, the, the groom is concerned, the bride is attractive. As far as the groom is concerned, she's everything in the world he ever wanted. You don't go up to him in, in his happiest moment of his life and say, oh, you picked a loser. <laughs> don't, don't do that. 
I'll tell you, when I, and I almost 40 years of, of, of being a rabbi here and officiating at weddings, I never saw a bride that wasn't beautiful. Every bride is beautiful. Something happens. That even to the most unbeautiful girl, she, the bride, she becomes beautiful. And I always felt the bride is beautiful. And I always had a lump in my throat when the bride would come down the aisle. And sometimes even a tear in my eye because of the, of the great, you know, meaning of, the, of a marriage to Jewish history, to Jewish life, and particularly the beauty of the bride. So, the halacha is like Hillel. That is, you don't say anything but the nicest things you can uh, to the bride because of the reason that truth, truth has to be handled the way you handle fire. You know, for some people, MS is very elusive. Some people never tell the truth. For some people, lying is a way of life. I'm reminded of a story of the two uh, Russian Jews who are trying to get out of Russia, trying to get a visa to America. And they're standing there at the visa office, sitting there, filling out the form. And uh, one of them fills out, finishes his form. The other guy's still crossing his beard and thinking, what, what should I fill out? So the, the guy says, what's the problem? He says, well, they're asking me my age. He says, if I say I'm 25, they won't let me out of Russia. I'm too young, I should serve in the army. If I say I'm 45, they won't let me in America, be too old. So the other guy says, so how old are you? He says, I'm 35. So the guy says, so why don't you write down 35? He says, oh, that didn't occur to me. <laughs> Yiddish, Yiddish, that's a Begoni Dangrefal. It never occurred to me to tell the truth. Some, some people, it's a way of life. Anyway. MS, however, is more than just not telling a lie. MS means keeping your word. It means being trustworthy. It means being reliable. It means being honest in everything you do. It means being faithful. Not only speaking the truth, but seeking, searching always for the truth. The truth to oneself, the truth to one's heritage. Truth has a lot of elements to it. But the bottom line of MS is that a lie desecrates something holy within us. It desecrates the holy power of speech. Because speech is a gift that Hashem gave man and woman when they were created. When God breathed into man the breath of life, the translation is that he breathed into man the ability to speak, ruach memalava, the power to speak. That differentiates us from, from the beasts, from the animals. Sometimes we speak like a beast, but the, you can desecrate that holiness by using speech for the wrong things. You can hurt with speech, as you know. You can wound with speech. You insult with speech. You make people sick with speech. You can kill people with speech. You can destroy them with slander by speech. Or... You can lift them up by speech. You can inspire them by speech. You can make them better people by speech. All the power of speech that a Korosporopo gave us. So speech is, is, a, is, a, is a fiery thing. Too close, it can be burned. Too far away, it can be chilled. It has to be just right, exactly right. We live today, would you say we live in a, lot, in, a, in a time of MS or a time of Sheker? It's unanimous, we live in the time of Sheker. It's 
very little emiss around. And the internet is filled with sheker. The, the newspapers are filled with sheker. Every newspaper every has its own agenda. There used to be a time when a newspaper would give you an objective story. Today, every news item is an editorial. Every television program is an editorial. Every news program is an editorial. There's no such thing as MS, as truth today. That's why it's incumbent upon those of us who know the meaning of MS, and after tonight you all will know the meaning of MS, to use MS in a productive way. Uh, not just interpersonal, but in, in our values, in our aspirations, in our ambitions, to seek MS within ourselves and to be true to oneself, because the Torah itself is called Torah's MS, Torah of Truth. God Himself, the seal of God, as we said earlier, is MS. And when we say at the end of the Shema, three times a day, Hashem Elokechem MS. God, your God, is truth. Next time you daven, which I hope is soon, but next time you daven, be careful to look for that word, MS. It's all over the sitter. It's all over everything. It's all over chakras. It's all over Muslim. It's all over Mendra. It's all over Shabbos. It's all over Yomtev in the davening. That word, MS, is pervasive. And may it be so pervasive in our lives as well. Anything we haven't covered now, We'll cover during the session of uh, questions and answers, for which I hope you'll all stay, which will take place right after your rabbi, Rabbi Elon Feldman, speaks. This is your introduction. <laughs> okay. Actually, your entire life has been my introductions. <laughs> Tonight is like a metaphor for my, my entire life. My father sets the stage, then I come along and have to repeat everything he said in different words. So I'm going to elaborate a little bit on what, what was said. I'm going to begin by, by asking a question which may have bothered some of you um, in your Rosh Hashanah davening. Because in Rosh Hashanah we say, Purify our hearts to serve you in truth. So first of all, what are we asking for? Suppose we would say, Purify our hearts to serve you, period. What are we asking for in addition when we say, Purify our hearts to serve you in truth? How else do you serve God? In a lie? What exactly are we asking for when we say purify our hearts to serve you in truth? But then we give a reason why we're asking God to purify our hearts to serve him in truth. Ki Elohim emes. Because you are, what does that mean? The true God, a true God, a God of truth. So therefore I want to serve you in truth because you're a God of truth. What does it mean that you're a God of truth? Does it mean that God doesn't lie? As they say down south, duh. <laughs> God doesn't lie. So what does it mean that God is a God of truth? And why, as my father indicated, if there are so many attributes that we use for God, one of them is MS, there are a lot of other attributes. Notes are chesed. Why don't we say that the signet the, the, the signet ring of God is chesed? The signet ring of God is Rachamin. Why don't we choose this one and say that this is God's signature? There's so many other attributes. Why is it this one that defines God? So these are all important points. And then, of course, uh, questions my father alluded to. What makes a man of truth or a woman of truth, a person of truth? What does that mean? And why is truth so elusive? You know, like I mentioned before, Sergeant Friday said, just the facts, man, just the facts. Why does he have to say that? Because if he doesn't say that, he's going to get something beyond the facts. Some other person, some person's version of the facts, which is already not the facts. Why is it so hard for us to stay with the facts? What gets in the way? What makes us, in any way, uh, obfuscate? And finally, I would ask: Why does the truth seem to need to be uncovered? 
For example, the Torah says, in a certain cases uh, where we have testimony against someone, the Torah says, You shall uh, inquire and you shall investigate. And behold, the thing is true, what they were testifying about. I mean, if it's true, why is it so hard to figure it out? It ought to be obvious. Why is truth so elusive? Is it elusive? And meanwhile, ask yourself the following question. Are you a truth teller? Or are you a liar? Just ask yourself that question. Um, there's nobody I know who says I'm a liar. There's nobody, no newspaper that says we are fake news. Right? <laughs> Every newspaper is absolutely the truth. Right? There's one radio station here in town that says if you want every, uh, absolutely the truth, you know, listen to this station. Everybody thinks they're telling the truth, and yet we can tell in, in other cases that people are stretching it or obfuscating or misrepresenting. Are we perhaps also guilty of that? So let's, let's look at this. Um, we have this concept of swearing in God's name, right? We even do that in uh, non-Jewish society, so help me God. Um, in Judaism, we certainly have cases. We have a halacha, and in certain cases, a person swears in court. In the Kitas Chepetz, he actually holds a Torah, and he swears in the name of God that I didn't borrow, or I did borrow, or I owe, or I don't owe. And a person can actually take an oath to do something, even out of court, not to testify. A person can actually take an oath in God's name, can actually swear to do something, and then he's bound by that oath. So what's that all about? So if you look at the source sheet here, there's a quote here from the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra is talking in Parshas Yisrael in the Ten Commandments, and he's talking about the third of the Ten Commandments, don't carry God's name in vain. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a translation, so I'll read it and translate with you. And Ibn Ezra says, Hashem, the reason a person mentions God's name when he's testifying about something, when he's swearing, is because just like God is truth, so are his words truth. He's saying, my words are as true as the existence of God. And if he doesn't fulfill his words, then it's as if he's denying God's existence because he's saying what I'm saying is equivalent to the existence of God. So if my words don't mean anything, then the existence of God doesn't mean anything, God forbid. Says the Ibn Ezra, He's writing in his day. He says, The custom in Egypt is, If a person swears by the king's head and then doesn't keep his, his word, who Ben Mavis, he's put together, he's put to death. Even if he gave his weight in gold, he wouldn't be allowed to live. Because he's embarrassing, he's demeaning the king in public by swearing in the king's name and then not doing what he says he's going to do. If this is the way it is for a human king, that we take it so seriously that we execute a person, so certainly, how much more time, thousands of times more, a person has to be careful not to allow his tongue, to uh, allow his mouth to mislead his flesh to mention God's name in vain. So even as we're saying, not only when you're swearing falsely, but if you're swelling needlessly using God's name, God's name is the ultimate existence. And you're saying, I swear that today is Tuesday night. So you're wasting God's name. It's the meaning of God's name to use God's holy name to prove something which is not needed to be proved, certainly if it's false. So, uh, so even swearing to the obvious, is a desecration of God's name. The only time we would ever do that is when we actually have to prove something that's not known and we have to take the testimony or something. But I want to go a little bit deeper 
If you look at the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah, El Gracious, it's um, chapter 8, right here, the third source on the source sheet. And I won't go through every single word in the source. But the Medrash is talking about the creation of man. And the Medrash says that when God uh, consulted, so to speak, with the angels and said, let us make man, the angels formed into groups. Chaburos, chaburos. Chesed, ve'emes, nifgashu, tzedem, so it, it, uh, they, they quote the Pasuk and Tehillim, and there are four groups. Some people said man shouldn't be created. Some people said, yes, man should be created. One group said man should be created because man is Goma Chasadim. Man does generous acts. MS Truth said, don't create man. Shakulosh Karim, he's filled with lies. Tzedek said, righteousness said, he should be created because he does righteous things. Peace said, don't create him because he's always fighting. He's kulok kata. His whole essence is fighting. So what did God do? God took truth and threw it to the ground. Famous measures, quotes passages. So they said, God, the angel said, God, what are you doing? You're taking your shield, your signet ring, you're, you're demeaning it, you're throwing it to the ground, what are you doing? And uh, so God says, let truth sprout out from the ground. So what's going on over here? What's happening in there? What's the debate? What is God saying to them? And why don't they want, why don't they want man to be created? So you could say that the Anything that relates to God is related to truth. The only thing that's true is God's existence. That's the only thing that is. That's absolute. The only absolute truth is that God is. Take a look at what the Rambam says. Maimonides in the Mishnah Torah, Foundations of Torah, that's Yisari Torah. Let's read through this very quickly. The foundation of foundations, and this is the first, these are the first words in the Rambam's code, his 14 volumes where he codifies all of Jewish law. So here's how he begins. The foundation of foundations and the firmest pillar of all wisdom is to know that there is a first being, that he caused all things to be, and that all beings from heaven and earth and from between them could not be save for the truth of his own being. That's it. God is the first cause. He's the cause of everything else. Thus, supposing that he's not, meaning just considering that he doesn't exist, no one else could have been called into existence, because it all depends on him. Conversely, supposing all other beings, safety alone, not existed, even if everything else doesn't exist, his being alone remains, for he does not cease to be because of their non-existence, as all beings are dependent upon him, but he, blessed be he, is not dependent upon them, nor upon any single one of them. Therefore, the truth of his being is incomparable to the truth of any other individual being. Even when we say that this uh, stand exists, it's true, but it only exists insofar as it reflects the fact that God causes it to be. Therefore, it is not ultimately the truth. It's relatively the truth. Why is it relatively the truth? because it relates to the source of its being. It is true that this exists, but it only exists because one true thing causes it to be, and that true thing is the only ultimate and absolute truth. And therefore, anything else that's true is true because it relates to the source. The farther you get from the source, the more you get the falsehood. The more you look at something and don't see the source, the more you have obfuscation of the cause of existence. And so, the angels say to God, you can't create man, because man by definition is being endowed with choice. And choice means that man can actually do what you don't want. That's what you're doing with man. You're actually making man potentially capable of rebelling and hiding your existence, ignoring your existence, trying to assert himself as God. Can't do that. 
That's not, the whole world's about getting to know God. The whole world's about finding itself back to its source. And you're gonna create man this way? So God takes truth. Instead of arguing with the angels, he throws it to the ground. What does that mean he throws it to the ground? He says, you don't get it. That's what I want out of the world. I actually want the world to struggle with the truth. I actually want the world to have the opportunity to be filled with lies. I'm gonna create man as Kuloshkarim. He's gonna be physical. He's going to indicate through his life the possibility that I don't exist. He's gonna act sometimes as if there is no God. His behavior is gonna reflect that there is no God sometimes. And, he, and I'm gonna charge him with the job of trying to arrive at the truth. That's the whole point. The goal in life is for us to run away from falsehood. But if we don't run away from it, we're naturally going to do it. We are naturally liars. What does that mean, naturally liars? We are naturally not set up to reflect the fact that there is a truth, that there's a creator, that we have a source, that we are here for his will, that his will alone will be done that we will never be able to contradict him no matter how hard we try. We're not set up for that, naturally. And we each have that struggle one way or another. And society has that struggle, and human history has that struggle. So this is what, what the MS is. MS is that the only truth in the world, the existence of God, is the only thing that will remain in the end. And that's why, as my father pointed out, Aleph, Mem, Tuf, from beginning to end, the origin of the world, the current existence of the world, the finality of the world, all of that is going to reflect only one thing, the only truth in the world, that God exists. Meanwhile, Sheker has no regalia. Sheker is not connected to any source. Therefore, Sheker, falsehood, has no ongoing capacity. There's no source to it. And therefore, it can be invented, but it's like vapor. You put it out there and then it dissolves. Ultimately, it can't stand because it has no source. And therefore we have Hashem Elokeichem MS, that God is truth, meaning God is the only thing that is real. Everything else is dependent on Him. And anything that is not connected to Him will cease to exist. It's the way it works. Now, take a look at this Gemara and Shabbos. The Gemara, let's see, do I have it in myself? Yeah. On the first page, 88B. You're familiar with this, perhaps, where when Moshe comes up to get the Torah, same thing. The angels say, what are you giving it to Yulud Isha? What are you giving it to somebody born of a woman, a physical human being? By the way, what the Talmud doesn't mean is that if you are born of a man, it'd be better. The Talmud means born of a human being. It happens to be that women are the ones who are producing children, not men. So, and you have to make that clear nowadays because we are totally, totally filled with sheker about creation. Um, so they say, what are you giving the Torah to, to, a, to a human being? What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you think of him? And they say the, righteous, the rightful place of God's majesty, the Torah, is in the heavens. Same thing. The Torah is the word of God. It's the truth. It's the MS. And the angels say it doesn't belong down there because the world down there has all kinds of layers that can block access to the truth. It can get distorted. By the way, a person who wants to know the truth, when he or she studies Torah, guess what this person is aware of? It is very possible that I am reading the wrong interpretation of the Torah. One who wants truth is afraid of falsehood. One who is confident that he or she has had the truth, that person is deeply steeped in lying and falsehood. The only way to get to truth is to run from falsehood. How do you know that you're interested in the truth? If you're afraid of Sheker. If you're not afraid of Sheker, likely you'll be fooling yourself, as my father said.
So it's the Bali Musar, people who develop their character, who work hard, were aware that there are many, many aspects of humanity that are not consistent with the truth, meaning that the truth is a major challenge to comfort. The truth is a major challenge to ego. The truth is a major challenge to prestige. The truth is a major challenge to power. And therefore, a person always wants to know, when am I being governed by those things? Because when I'm governed by that, I'm not going to be acknowledging the source of my existence, which is God himself. In English, if you look up in the dictionary what the word truth means and the origin of the word truth, you'll find that it means loyal to the facts or consistent with the facts. And if you go back far enough, you'll find out that the word truth comes from the word truce. And the word truce means no conflict. No conflict. Meaning that there's absolutely no friction between one thing and its source between what you're describing, which is the source of what you're describing, and your description. That's the truth. We have the same concept in, in Judaism. The idea of the truth is that we're loyal to the source. We're constantly aware of the source of our being. Which brings me to my last point, very important point. We, my father mentioned before, we finish the Shema twice a day. We say, Hashem Elokeichem, that's the end of the text in the Torah. And we move, and we actually say one more word, uh, imitating a passage uh, from the Nevi'im, Hashem Elokeichem, MS. And then we move on in that final passage that connects Shema to the Amida, to the standing silent Shema to Esra, to the 18, 19 benedictions. We have a bracha that's called the bracha of Geula, the bracha of redemption. What in the world connects MS to redemption? So I want to show you something from the Smag. The Smag is an abbreviation in Hebrew for Sefer Mitzvah Tidolah. And the Smag, uh, Moshe ben Yaakov of Kuchi, who's actually, a, I believe, a brother of the Sarmi Kuchi, some of you may recognize. So the Smag made a list of positive and negative commandments. And in Mitzvah number 74, which has to do with returning lost objects, he deviates for a bit and says the following. I have already um, uh, sermonized to the exiles of Jerusalem here in Sephardic and to the rest of the uh, to the diaspora. That the exile has become so lengthy more than ever, more than, just exceedingly long. He's talking about it in the 1300s, okay? He probably would have shuddered to hear that 800 years later, we're still here. So he says, The Jews have to separate from the vanities of the world and hold on tight to the seal of God, which is truth. Not to lie, Lowly Israel and not to Jews and not to non-Jews. Not to fool them in any way. And sanctify themselves even in areas that are allowed. As the pastor says, the remnant of Israel will do no crookedly and will not do any falsehood. There'll be no Deceit found in their mouths. When God finally comes to save the Jews, the nations of the world will say, you know, it really makes sense that he saved them because they're people of truth and the law of truth is on their mouths. But if they interact with the nations of the world with deceit, then the nations of the world will say, what in the world did God do to choose them to save them at the end of time. Why are they any better than anybody else? So therefore, it will be a terrible chil of Hashem if we Jews don't embrace this signature of God, which is Emes. And therefore, we have to make sure not to 
in any way deviate from that so that when redemption comes, it will be obvious why we deserve it. So I want to point out that when a person uses deceit to uh, mislead somebody, I'm going to quote you something from the uh, famous Rabbeinu Yonah who wrote the Shabbat Shuvah, The Gateways of Repentance. The Rabbeinu Yonah uh, lists different categories of sinners, and one of them is a category of liars. And in that category, he mentions um, the following. I'll read you the translation. Um, the next category of liars is that of someone who deceives his friend by saying that he did him some favor or spoke favorably on his behalf to someone, when in fact he did not do so. About lies of this nature, the sages say, it's forbidden to deceive another person, even a non-Jew. The word in Hebrew, by the way, is lignav das, to steal the consciousness, to steal the mind. Meaning when you fool somebody, you're stealing their awareness. So you're not allowed to do that. And the sages of Israel consider this sin of deceiving even a non-Jew be worse than actually stealing from a non-Jew. Listen to this, because Words of falsehood are a grave sin, and we are responsible to adhere to the bounds of truth because truth is one of the foundations of the human soul. One of the foundations of the human soul. So the sages were more strict about this than theft itself. Just at the harmless lie. Yeah, I spoke to him, I gave him a good reference when you didn't. Yeah, I told him it would be great you know, if you would uh, go into business with him. But you didn't do that. But you're creating the impression that you did that. That's called Kanevas Das. And that's considered to be worse. Now, why is that? Because it goes to the core of what the human soul is. See, God endows with the soul. When it says that God created us in his image, in his likeness, it doesn't mean our faces look like God or our bodies look like God, obviously. It means that he endowed us, as my father said before, with this capacity of speech which is reflective of the soul and the soul is God's mind breathed into a human being. And so, Rabbi Yitzhak Kutner says about this passage in Rabbi Yonah, it's a fascinating thing. He says, if you're using my consciousness to fool somebody, you're actually invading the palace of the king, because consciousness is what makes a human being resemble God. You're invading the palace of the king he uses the term Lichbosh es hamalka iti babayas. What Ahasuerus says to Haman when he seems to be coming on to Esther, he says, are you here to conquer the queen with me still in the palace? So to use consciousness and steal someone else's consciousness corrupts the very essence of the soul, which is designed to reflect the nature of God. That's what deceit is. And therefore, people who want connection to their creator People who want to serve their creator, people who want to represent their creator, run as fast as they can from anything which is deceitful. I get questions very often from people. I'm impressed that people actually call the rabbi to ask them certain things. The insurance company sent me a check. It's extra. They don't owe it to me. What should I do? I found something. I really need it. Can I keep it or do I have to return it? I get questions about honesty all the time. I've got a computer, um, a computer software that says cannot be copied. Everybody I know copies it. Can I copy it? So sometimes the answer is you're allowed to. It depends on the condition. Sometimes the answer is you're not. But I tell people, you don't want to corrupt your soul. This is not about financial gain. Your soul will be corrupted if you take something that is inappropriate, even if maybe you can find some legalistic reason to do it. It's not a good idea. You won't be the same person afterwards. So this is really what, uh, what Ellis is all about. The only truth in the world that's absolute is the existence of God. And anything that connects to him or leads to him is truthful. Anything that leads away from him, including our own egos, our own physical needs, our own desires for popularity, for being accepted by others, all of that, that leads away from him. That's Shekhar. So we have to think long and hard about how often we don't say the truth because we will not win someone else's approval 
or because we want to fit in, or we don't live lives of connection to God because something else has supplanted that. MS is much more than just being honest, much more than just being honest in business. It's being honest about who we are as representatives of God above. So thank you for your attention. We're going to take a uh, six-minute break. I'm lying because I know that it won't work in six minutes. But we're going to take a six-minute break, and we ask you to gather after you take some refreshments, and um, we will have uh, what has always been a very, um, uh, very stimulating question and answer period starting in just a few minutes.